We're about halfway through our series on um, Ezra and Nehemiah, and matter of fact, we're almost done with Ezra. <clears throat> Next week we'll be moving into Nehemiah. And again, the whole point of this has been thinking about faith in a new world. And, and you know, as you probably know, the, the world is in some sense new every day. The world changes every day. The, um, you know, there's always some, some new dynamic, as one of the Greek philosophers once said. He said, you can never step in the same river twice. It, it always changes. And in some ways that happens, but a lot of times it happens, you know, rather incrementally. And we go through it at the same time. We, we slowly change our hairstyles. We don't just all show up looking cool like me and shaving your head. You know, slowly, and you know, slowly over time, the next five years, we'll eventually all have purple hair or green hair or whatever. It won't happen all at once. But what's happened with the, with the pandemic is most of us have spent the past 12 months more or less isolated. Each of us has changed. Make, you know, make no doubt about that. Each of us has changed. Our church has changed. We have new people coming to the church that weren't here before. We have old people that are coming to the church that are different because they've, they've grown in their faith. They've you know, taken on different responsibilities. We have, we have just you know, so many different dynamics that are taking place that, that when we all eventually start coming back, in some ways it's going to be the same church but in some ways, it's going to be very, very, very different. And so we've talked about, you know, the key in Ezra, you know, the, the positive message of Ezra is be faithful. No matter what, be faithful. Be faithful whether you've been taken off into exile to Babylon. Be faithful whether the Persians come in and, and conquer the Babylonians and now you have new, you know, leaders. Be faithful um, whether you go back to, to Jerusalem. The Persians allow you to go back. Be faithful when you face um, opposition there. And we, we learned last week that, that, that you know, Ezra had to confront this, this situation where some of the people had not been faithful. So we're going to look at that today. But before we get there, I wanted to, uh, you know, some of you who are like my age, you'll know this. People who are older, maybe, younger, maybe not. But there was a movie that came out in the 80s called Poltergeist. Anybody remember this movie, Poltergeist? And, um, and it was a, supposed to be a scary movie, and I guess for the time it was, um, you know, there's this family living in this house, and, you know, it seemed to be haunted, and there's spirits there, and... And um, anyways, I'm not going to go through the whole movie. I just wanted to kind of get to the end of the movie. Because at the end of the movie, they, they finally figure out what was wrong. Um, because um, the developer, the real estate developer, um, had, had built this, this new sub, you know, subdivision and had built it over this graveyard. And he had been told that he was supposed to you know, relocate all the graves, but he didn't. He just moved the headstones. So just moved the headstones, and so now you had this whole subdivision on all of these, uh, you know, all of these graves, and you know, that's what was causing the problem. 
And so the movie's not really about ghosts, it's really about uh, real estate development. And, and you know, the cost benefit risk, you know, should I take the risk of doing this? And ultimately, you know, this real estate developer uh, made the wrong choice because he didn't think, um, you know, the, the, the risk was, was the, the cost was worth the benefit. He was willing to take the risk. And you see, we face that a lot in our lives where we have to ask the question, you know, should I just make a clean start, do it right, move all the graves, or should I take the risk? What are we willing to risk? You see, Ezra is confronting this problem. And this problem, of course, is this, this syncretism we talked about last week. Yes, it's the, the specific sin is intermarrying with the other cultures, but that, as we've seen, is not a problem in the Bible. The problem is, is that intermarrying almost always led to syncretism. It almost always led to compromise. And so Ezra is, is having to confront this, but he could have decided not to. He could have said a lot of different things. And even when he decides to do it, this can go a lot of different ways. Remember, he's kind of new. He, he comes, you know, 60, 70 years after the first group comes. That other group has been there. You know, they, you know, it's their place. And now he's coming along and saying, about to tell them, some of you have been doing something that's not right. It's a risk. He could have just kind of laid low. The people could have rebelled. In fact, when we look at the list of people who actually um, were found to have been doing this, he could have lost confidence in some of the most influential people. He faces, um, you know, the struggle that we all face, and we realize Ezra doesn't just, just jump into action. This was some um, advice I heard a long time ago before I had kids and everything is when I was teaching. And they said, there's, there's two ways, they were talking about high school students, there's, a, there's two ways you can look at uh, students, and there's two ways you can look at your, you know, your children, and you can look at them as like photographs. So you, you're looking through a photo album, you see photographs, right? Or you can think of them as this is a movie, right? A photo or a movie, and and you know, like if they were, if it's just photographs, it really depends what page you're on, because photographs just capture one. One moment. Have you ever seen a photograph where it looks like your whole family was happy, but you realize you know that you weren't when you took that photograph? You know? Or like just right after that, you know, kids throwing a tantrum? Because that photograph doesn't really tell us anything more than that one instant, that one moment. And what the person was trying to tell us is when you deal with teenagers, you have to realize if you think of things as photographs, you, you'll drive yourself crazy. Because one second they will seem incredibly mature and ready to take on the world, and the next second, the total opposite. Well, I think that advice is true for everything, everything in life. Do we see, do we see life 
as just a series of photographs? Or do we understand life is more like a movie? That we don't necessarily you know, know where the movie's going. We don't know that that happy scene at the beginning is going to be happy at the end. Which tells us that if we're going to come into a situation, if we're going to step into something new, and we all are stepping into something new, that we, we, need, to, we need to take time to understand what, what's happening. You know, if, if, Ezra, if Ezra had come in and he, you know, the, this isn't what happened, but let's say Ezra comes in, he hears about this problem, but this problem had been addressed a couple years earlier, and at that point, 50% was intermarrying, and at this point, it's only 10%. Well, it's progress, it's trending in the right direction. If Ezra didn't know this, Ezra might have just, you know, said, we got to change everything. And it's like, well, why change it? It's actually getting better. Do we take the time to understand the situations that we're in? Do we see how it's trending? Because Ezra wouldn't have wanted to just stop, just stop the progress. But what Ezra realizes is this he realizes they're about to kind of move to this new phase, this new kind of level of commitment. That they're going to be, you know, God's people restored, but not just God's people, God's covenant people. And he knows that they need a clean start. And he's even willing to risk going for a clean start, even if it means no start. Even if it means we, we, will, we will never be God's people. He's right up front saying, this is what we're supposed to be. We're not just supposed to be a nation. We're not just supposed to be a group of people. We're supposed to be God's covenant people. And I'm willing to risk everything on that. You see, that's the struggle we have in, in our world. Like we, we jump into things and, and we don't always know, you know where things are from and we don't always know where they're going. We're not always paying attention to to what's going on. We're just kind of paying attention to what's right in front of us. And as we have this new faith, I'm sorry, not new faith, when we have this faith in this new world, we need to understand where we are. We need to understand where we've come from, but also where we're going. And so here's Ezra. He, he sees this, he understands the situation, he takes the time, and then as we saw last week, he immediately begins to, to, to grieve and mourn and repent. And we see more of that here in Ezra 10 because it's in sort of in the timeline, it's kind of gave us 
some information and now it's jumping back to this earlier time. So here's what Ezra says in chapter 10. He says, it says, At while Ezra prayed and made confession, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, a very great assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him out of Israel, for the people wept bitterly. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, the son of Elam, addressed Ezra, We have broken faith with our God and have married foreign women from the peoples of the land, but even now there is hope for Israel in spite of this. Therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and their children according to the counsel of my Lord and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God, and let it be done according to the law. Arise, for it is your task, and we are with you. Be strong and do it. Then Ezra arose and made the leading priests and Levites and all Israel take an oath that they would do as had been said. So they took the oath. So the first risk, Ezra makes a stand and nobody wants to listen. Nobody wants to follow. But that doesn't happen. In fact, what happens is exactly what needs to happen. The people standing up and saying, we want to be a covenant people. See, it doesn't matter how much you or it doesn't matter how much I understand what the Bible says a healthy church is. It doesn't matter. If we're going to be a healthy church, the people in the church, all of us, have to say, we want to be a healthy church. We want to be what God has called us to be. We want to be on mission. We want to be united by His Spirit. We want to, to dis- demonstrate God's glory in how we love one another and care about one another. And it doesn't matter how much the Bible says it. It doesn't matter how right it is. It doesn't matter how true it is. If we're not willing to do it, it's not going to happen. All this that Ezra's saying could have ended at this point, and we wouldn't even be reading this story. It wouldn't even be in the Bible. But it doesn't go south. It goes exactly the way that it needs to go. The people say, we will make this covenant. The repentance of this one man led to the revival of God's people. This true and very public repentance. And he's repenting even though he personally hasn't engaged in this. But he's doing what a good leader does. It happened on his watch. It's happening while he is the leader. So it's as much a failure on his part as it is on anyone else's. And what's going to happen? They're going to want to return to the covenant. When we look at the list later on, we're going to see some of the worst offenders are actually the Levites and the priests. And I'm going to tell you that, that, that the Levites, the priests, and other leaders... They had good reason, 
practical reasons to intermarry. If you know anything about the Levites, you know that the Levites, they didn't get land. They got like cities. They were like Levitical cities in everybody's land, but they didn't have their own like land. So by intermarrying, guess what? They're able to, you know, increase their land holdings. That isn't coming from what the Bible says about how the land should be um, developed and divided. But it's because of their intermarrying. They're able to increase, you know, their wealth. And there's nothing wrong with wealth or increasing your wealth except here when you're increasing your wealth by going against what God says and that it ultimately leads to idolatry and syncretism and compromise. And so Ezra understands this. He understands that that it's not just a new beginning. It's not just a start. It needs to be clean. Because he understands that God is not going to bless the compromised. But let me make sure you understand what that means. Because some people think like that means like that, that they're not going to succeed. Uh, that, that's not really what it means. You can have a group, a church, even Israel as a nation, can quote-unquote succeed. It can have lots of people. It can have lots of programs. It can have all of these things, and it can succeed in a worldly sense of succeeding. But this is what I mean by God will not bless the compromised. That no matter how successful the world, the the church or the, the group looks to all of us looking from the outside, that they will, God will not bless them in that they will be his people. They will be a people, but they will not be his people. And so Ezra gets this. It's not enough for Ezra just to be another nation. It's not, another, it's not enough for Ezra just to be kind of right, sort of right. He doesn't want to just exist. He wants to be God's covenant people. And why is that? Well, I can't really tell you what Ezra was thinking because, you know, I don't get a lot of this from Scripture to be able to put it together, so I'm not going to tell you that. But I can certainly tell you when we think about the church today. If we, if we think about being the church today and that, that all we want to be is, is God's covenant people and that's all we think about and we don't actually understand why, then you know we really are just li- still just living for ourselves. We're still just doing what's in our own best interests. We're still just existing, but we're existing as people that are following God's way. But if we're God's covenant people, then this is what we know for sure. We won't just simply exist. 
God will use us. He has kingdom purposes for us. And those kingdom purposes in the world's eyes, they might not even notice. But in God's eyes, they're exactly what we need to do and what we need to be. We don't simply exist for ourselves. We exist to accomplish what God has given us to do. Part of that means being the covenant people. Part of that means revealing God and how we we live together and love one another. Especially, you know, some of those that are harder to love than others. Yes, there is something about just being this community of faith. But understand, it's a community of faith on mission. We're not just called to be a community to be a community. We are on mission. We are are to show the world what it means when Jesus Christ transforms our lives. That we're not just another group that gets together. But we have these, these holy, supernatural relationships with one another. That it is so clear that what God has done for us is so vastly different from how the rest of the world lives, even in the best of their relationships. It means, we're to, as we say every week almost, we're to be salt and light. We're not just to sit here and, and you, know, you know, sing songs and, and you know, listen to God's Word and, and you know, go to Bible studies, but that, but that we're to be salt and light. We're to, we're to see the needs in our community of faith, but also see the needs in our community around us. I love that, that this church is just increasingly you know, getting a heart for, for the people near and far. I mean, we're willing to go and help people on the other side of the world, and, and we're also willing to go help people across the street. But we are on mission. We have kingdom purposes. If we're just here to show up, it, it, it doesn't matter. Syncretism doesn't matter. Compromise doesn't matter. If we're just here to show up. But if we're on mission, if we're on mission, if we're fulfilling kingdom purposes, both in who we are and then in what we do, syncretism is death. Compromise of God's truth is death. We cannot be who God has created and called and designed us to be if we're going to compromise. So we see this this one man, Ezra. Why did they wait for Ezra? This had been going on for much longer than before Ezra came. Why did they wait for Ezra? I don't know. But Ezra does what he needs to do. 
We look in verse 6, it says, Ezra withdrew from before the house of God and went to the uh, chamber of Jehonon, the son of Eliashib, where he spent the night neath, neither eating bread nor drinking water, for he was mourning over the faithlessness of the exiles. And the proclamation was made throughout Judah and Jerusalem to all the returned exiles that they should assemble at Jerusalem and that if anyone did not come within three days by order of the officials and the elders of all his property should be forfeited and he himself banned from the congregation of the exiles. So as Ezra withdraws, remember his first step was repent, confess, you know, lay himself before God. The second part was the other people that saw him, the people that were around him, and many of them were leaders. They stood up and they said, Ezra, you're right. We will do what you say. He spends more time fasting, more time mourning, and then takes action. Sends out this proclamation says, need to, need to be here in three days. Everybody, be here in three days. You know, this is probably a gathering of 60,000, 70,000 people if everybody came. If only the men came, it would probably be 30 to 35,000. But he says, come. And, they, and he says, if they don't come, there's, you're saying, I don't want to be a part of this covenant people. And because of that, it says, your property will be forfeited. Notice, he's not banning anybody. They would be banning themselves. And what is he going to do? He's going to give everyone the opportunity to confess and repent. Those of you who come on Wednesday nights to hear the Bible study, you already know this, but those of you who, who, who... who don't, let me just give you a, like a little thing that comes at the end of this. How many of the 30,000 men were found to have actually intermarried? The number would astonish you. It was 110, maybe 111. 110 or 111 out of 30,000. Think about that. And yet it says that Ezra was mourning over the faithlessness of the exiles as as though all the exiles were doing it. It's like, come on, Ezra. Why are you exaggerating? Well, here's the thing. We know that those who were doing it weren't doing it in secret. We know some of them, again, were Levites and priests and leaders. We know that everyone knew what the covenant said. And for whatever reason, they did nothing about it. 
Now, you might go, well, maybe they didn't know, or maybe they, they were going to do it, but they were waiting for the right time. Okay, it's been 90 years. If, I don't know if anybody here is 90, but if, if you've been saying, if you're 90 and you've been saying since you were six, I'm going to learn the piano someday, you're not going to learn the piano. I mean, maybe you'll prove me wrong just to show, you know, show me up, but you're not going to learn the piano. If you've been saying that for 85 years, 84 years, But we sometimes kind of do that to ourselves. We talk about, yeah, 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 I, I, I knew it was wrong and I, I would have done something or I was going to do something. And, and it's like, okay, you've had decades. You've done nothing. But this also talks about something that we find talked about in the New Testament. That talk about the body of Christ, it's not just a clever word picture. When Paul writes about the body of Christ, he really thinks of it as a body. He even talks about that in, in, in different ways, about how we're connected to one another, if we're really part of the body of Christ. That that, that if one part of our body feels pain, you know, everything is in pain. Everything experiences it in some way. But he also talks about sin. And he's doing this thing, Paul's talking about this and Ezra's talking about this in a way that's very foreign to us because we think sin is like our salvation. We think it's a private thing. It's a personal matter. It's between me and God. And the Bible says no. The Bible says if you're part of the body of Christ, your sin affects the rest of the body. In fact, there's a sense that the entire body is sinning. We don't like that. We don't really like this whole topic in the past two or three weeks. We're like, ah, can we move on to the happy building of the wall thing? Because, you know, that's fun. But Ezra says, we've got to deal with this. And so he gives everybody this opportunity. He's showing how serious the covenant is how serious the breaking of the covenant is. And he's giving them an opportunity to, to stand and say, we reaffirm that we are God's covenant people. I'm going to tell you, it's, it's unpopular. I got to think that some of, the, some of the people, and we know some of the people actually disagree. And we know some of them are probably saying, who do you think you are, Ezra? You don't know us. You don't know what it's like to have been here all these years. You don't know what it takes to survive in this environment. Yet he still does it. 
See, Ezra is doing something that I think is, I mean, it's important that we do. And he's confronting this problem. And one of two things has to happen if they're going to be the covenant people of God. Either the people who are already there, they're going to need to change. They're going to need to change their attitudes towards this particular problem. They're, they're going to need to become more serious about the covenant. They're going to need to see the danger of syncretism, compromise. They're going to need to, 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 to understand what it means to be able to, to, to be the people of God. So they're going to have to change. They can't just be people that are just living in this land as exiles. So either that has to happen, either the people have to change, or God's going to use different people. Don't think you're the only people God has. I know that if, if I'm going to be rebellious against God, he's, he's, got, he's got a lot of other people. So he confronts them. He gives them the opportunity. And you know what? The people, again, the vast majority are like, we want to be the covenant people of God. Look at what it says in verse 9. It says, Then all the men of Judah and Benjamin assembled at Jerusalem within the three days. It was the ninth month on the twentieth day of the month, and all the people sat in the open square before the house of God, trembling because of this matter and because of the heavy rain. Oh, it's like not only are we all gathering outside, it starts raining, and it's raining really hard. And Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, You have broken faith and married foreign women, and so increased the guilt of Israel. Now then, make confession to the Lord, the God of your fathers, and do his will. Separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from the foreign wives. Then all the assembly answered with a loud voice, It is so. We must do as you have said. But the people are many, and it is a time of heavy rain. We cannot stand in the open, nor is this a task for one day or for two, for we have greatly transgressed in this matter. Let our officials stand for the whole assembly. Let all in our cities who have taken foreign wives come at appointed times, and with them the elders and judges of every city until the fierce wrath of our God over this matter is turned away from us. They agree. They say we need to take care of this. We want to be the covenant people, but they take this so seriously that they don't want this just to be kind of like a superficial thing. They understand this is going to take time. And in fact, it's going to take several months. It says, then the returned exiles did so. Ezra, the priest, selected men, heads of fathers' houses, according to their fathers' houses, each of them designated by name. On the first day of the tenth month, they sat down to examine the matter, and by the first day of the first month, they had come to the end of all the men who had married foreign women. 
point here is kind of obvious. A clean start, it's rarely easy, especially when it involves people. And we know, again, from the text that, that if at least four, four of the families, they didn't agree. But this is hard. It was hard to call everybody together. It, you know, again, starts raining. It's the cooler time of the year. And then when they eventually did it, it took months. It took months. But just, again, a clean start is not easy. But a clean start is essential. And that's what they do. When they get to the results, I don't have, uh, I didn't put all the names in here. I just gave you the beginning. It says, now there were found some of the sons of the priest who had married foreign women. Maaseah, Eliezer, Jarib, Gedaliah, some of the sons of Jeshua, the son of uh, Josadak and his brothers. They pledged themselves to put away their wives and their guilt offering was a ram of the flock for their guilt. And then there's a long list and at the very end, verse 44 says, all these had married foreign women and some of the women had even born children. Now again, let me just repeat to you, the problem wasn't the fact that they married foreign women. It was that the marriage of foreign women almost always resulted in idolatry and breaking the covenant and compromising with the people around them. But as I told you earlier, out of 30,000, only 110 or 111. But again, the point is, it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much compromise to threaten the entire group. Not much at all. You know, we, we, we have those uncomfortable stories, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. You know, you have the story of Achan from, from Joshua. And how, you know, when they went to Jericho and they, they conquered Jericho, that they were supposed to devote everything, all the spoils, they're supposed to devote it, which meant it was going to be um, burned. But Achan's like, why are we burning perfectly good silver? It's good stuff. And so he took it and he hid it. And of course we know the, that because of that, because of what he did, first of all, it cost the Israelites in their next battle where they lost to a much inferior opponent. And then we see Achan, when he's finally found out and confesses, not just him, but his entire family, just they're, they're wiped out. And it seems so harsh. But if we understand Israel was moving into a land where they had nothing. They only had the, their faithfulness to God. Any slight variation from that 
was going to doom all of the people. We see it in the New Testament. Ananias and Sapphira. You know, again, the, you know, we read this such an awesome story, such a happy story. You know, you know, you know Jesus has ascended. The, the, you know, the followers of Jesus are waiting in the upper room. Then the Holy Spirit comes upon them. They go out and, and they're evangelizing and witnessing and thousands are coming. And it's like, this is a great start. And they start like living out the things that they, that, that they felt like, you know, Jesus was teaching them and showing them and they're doing it because, you know, they've all been transformed and they love and they care about one another in ways they never had before. And then some of them start selling their possessions and, and giving the proceeds to the church to redistribute. And of course, Ananias and Sapphira come along and separately husband and wife, but they come in individually saying that they've done exactly that. They don't make it out the door. The Holy Spirit drops them. Doesn't say how. Not sure. I don't know if it was a heart attack, stroke, um, what it was, but we think that's harsh. Yeah. Because the church in its infancy was at great risk. But we also know in this situation with Ezra that it's not just because they're starting, not just because there's certain fragility when we start new things, but we also know that, that even though it's a small group, it's an influential group, and some of them had actually divorced their Jewish wives so that they could marry these foreign wives. This was more than just like, hey, you know, I went on Match.com and there were no Jewish women that matched with me. They were all foreign, so that's why I did it. No. What we also notice from the list is like kind of the regular common people, they're not on the list. And you know, you, you, you see like, and this is going to be dealt with in, a, in, in, in Malachi, that you find two laws that are colliding here. You have this God-hating divorce and then these people violating the covenant through intermarriage. And, and again, they, the intermarriage would have been okay had that intermarriage happened because, because the spouse was going to become part of the covenant. But as I said before, if after decades, if they were going to come be part of the covenant, they already would have. Ezra doesn't force the decision, he gives it to the people. Because he knows this. He knows that if the people say, no, we're not going to go along with this, then he knows the covenant's already been irrevocably broken. If I'm talking to someone individually or talking to the church as a whole, and I say, 
you know, we can agree that this is what the Bible actually teaches, and somebody says, yeah, that's what the Bible teaches, and it's right, but I'm not going to do it. Well, you know what? It's already broken. And that's the question we, we're constantly confronted with. Do, do, do we want to be His church? Do we want to be His people used by Him? Because if we do, then we're going to do that according to His Word. Not according to what society is telling us. Not according to what feels right, what seems right. But it's going to be according to His Word. Which means we cannot syncretize. But it also means this, as we've talked about before, and it's my definition of a healthy church. A healthy church is a community of disciples. If we're going to be healthy according to His Word, we need to know His Word. We need to all be disciples. I don't care how long you've been in the faith. I don't care how much you've studied. I don't care how much you know. You do not know enough. I do not know nearly enough. Which means we are always disciples. And being a disciple is not simply being a student. Being a disciple in the biblical sense, the way Jesus had disciples, is that we don't just study God's Word, but we study God's Word as we live life together. We learn from, you know, about God's Word, yes, through things like this, but also in how we relate to one another. In us, also in how we see each other and how, and how we interact with our world. So it's not just the study. The study is hugely important. But it's also the living. Do we want to be that church? I think, I think most, I would like to say all of us do. And let's be about His Word and studying His Word and living His Word and letting His Word be the authority in our lives and stay away from syncretizing compromising. I've said this before that, you know, I don't know what God's going to do with our church. I know that I want us to be faithful. But I see like him just bringing different people to the church and the people who are here kind of connecting and building relationships here. And maybe he's brought you here for the first time and, and you might not know, like, how do, I, how do I fit in? Well, you know what? You're not alone. But I know this. Whatever God calls us to do and calls us to be, in some sense, it's going to be like every other church. You know? Proclaim his word. Bring him glory. Be his hands and feet. But in another way, it's going to be unique. Because it's going to be all of us coming together 
bringing together the uniqueness of who we are in Christ and God doing something very different, very special right here. Don't know what that is exactly, but I always look forward to it.